You are back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. Today we're sharing a Hanahoe rebroadcast of stories celebrating the protein-rich fruit that flies under most people's radar, ulu, also known as breadfruit. The COVID-19 health and economic crisis has helped emphasize our state's need to diversify the economy, which includes giving agriculture a boost. We start off on the garden aisle and introduce you to Tom Pickett, a baker with a passion for a challenge, and that challenge is ulu. We start off in the kitchen in the back of the house of the Kilauea Bakery and Pauhana Pizza Place. Okay, so we're walking into your walk-in freezer now. Yes. Our, our, actually, our freezer, we call that Alaska, and our refrigerator's name is Oregon. Okay, we're going to Oregon. <laughs> Easier to describe. Here is our mozzarella, and we uh, shred this ahead of time and then make portions. It's in restaurants, you're always thinking about efficiency, so we portion it out and make it ready for a pizza. For our listeners, you basically have an industrial-sized tray that's just filled with this big slab, cheese. Big yeah, slab. slab of white cheese. And if you want to try it right there, it's plain. You know, it's like keep the flavor neutral, fairly neutral. Yeah, it is cheesy. Yeah. Then, uh, let's see. I think our cream cheese I can show you outside over by the bagels. But look at this ferment. Now you're pulling out this big container. Big white bucket. And this is fermented breadfruit. That's all it is. There's no other ingredients except some salinity from the from the brine. Um, and we, we call it fa'amasi, which is a Samoan term for the ferment. You can just give it a little taste. Yeah, it's very tart. If anybody's been to Polynesia and tried a, a pit fermented breadfruit, their reaction it usually curls their nose, but um, we we you know finish it off in four days and then refrigerate it, so it's not something that has sat in the ground for a year. It's good. Yeah, it's fruity. Now let's go see how that bread came out of the oven. Okay, we're leaving Oregon. <laughs> Going back to Hawaii. <laughs> and how long has that been fermenting? I think that batch, I did that batch uh, at the end of the summer. That's how Polynesians, Micronesians, Samoans used to preserve their crop because if, you know, at the end of the season, you, what else do you have on your island? Right, Some right. coconuts and taro. And if you're going out on a, on so a canoe, have, you yeah. can uh, carry, it carry it with you. you. Yeah, so they had to preserve that somehow so they could eat for the rest of the year. And here's more of our conversation in the kitchen where the ovens were going full blast with an assortment of breads and pizza. It's all about getting creative with ulu. It's trial and error with a dash of creativity. We buy the breadfruit locally and it comes down into the backyard in wagons and then we cut it into, into uh, quarters or six and then we steam it for not completely mushy steamy but 20 minutes, a pressure cooker, and then we cool it, and then we grind it up in our um, large food processor, it's called a, a Hobart bowl chopper, so we can chop 180 pounds at a time. Um, that turns it into a meal like sand, like a coarse sand, and so that is what we use to make bread. We, I, in the beginning, I didn't want, I, I thought, Wait a minute, why spend all this energy and all this electricity to dry the breadfruit and then make bread and then add it to the recipe and add water? So we go fresh. There's nobody, uh, it, it's expensive. If you, if you uh, processed fresh breadfruit as a business, it just sounded too expensive to me because you, I mean, I can buy uh, wheat flour for. Uh, 30 cents a pound, uh, cornmeal for, let me see, $30, you know, for very cheap. So um, how could you make ulu flour, how could you make ulu products affordable so you can sell them? 
right? So making the uh, flour would be if I buy if I buy fruit for a dollar a pound from the farmer, and then take out. 75, 80% of its weight, the price per pound of that flour is going to be you know, six times more. Right, so, so you basically then are experimenting with different products. You've got the Ulu Pizza. Right, so, so in the beginning, this was uh, uh, about five years ago. I keep a project on the side with, with our business. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, we have all kinds of bakery and uh, soups and salads and but still I I get bored easily so there's one little project at a time and about five years ago I, I picked on breadfruit so I had uh, I had a customer come in a long time ago and he said what are you gonna do if the barges stop coming what would you sell and um, I chewed on that for quite a quite a while before I thought and, and I thought back then breadfruit is breadfruit <laughs> that the word works so uh, so once I started using breadfruit and working out the the processing and then mixing it um, every time I turned around it was a new surprise so I've got I don't know 15 different I've tried pastries I've tried muffins I've tried uh, pizza dough bagels bread um, and all those formulas, uh, my rules to start with was keep the ingredients in the, in the 20s, latitude 20 north and latitude 20 south. So we've got a little rice flour sometimes to dry out the recipe. The main ingredient is breadfruit. And then coconut oil uh, sometimes, coconut milk, depending on the recipe. So. A lot of it's just trial and error. Oh, and, uh, lots of error. Yes. <laughs> lots and, of error. And, uh, I like that. and surprisingly, even the mistakes taste good. So you're eating it and you go, well, it's not what I wanted, but I want more. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There was a, oh, what do they call that? You know, it's serendipity, right? You, you, right? you find something good when you're looking for something else. I right, don't know. <laughs> right. Well, they say, you know, in, in yeah. uh, a lot of, lot of famous uh, foods are were mistakes in the very beginning. What do you find sells of the different products that you make with what we What we have put on the menu from my uh, bunch of experiments is, is the bagel, uh, the bread, and, and this is selling towards, a lot of this is going towards uh, the growing number of people who want gluten-free food. So uh, the bagels, the bread, and then a, we have a pizza dough, so if somebody comes in and wants a gluten-free pizza dough, uh, we have that. Um, but then I started going further out of bounds and uh, we, we have customers that ask for pizzas without, with dairy-free cheese. And I don't know if you've ever tried it, but if you find a commercial dairy-free cheese around, um, we, we had to buy it you know, on the mainland, uh, soy-based. And it was always terrible. It was like, you okay, if that's what you want, we'll make you a pizza, but it's going to be like there's plastic on it. You know, it just doesn't melt and, uh, and is, is, is ex extremely expensive after shipping. So I thought, um, after the Breadfruit uh, World Summit over at, uh, at the Polynesian uh, Cultural Center, I came home. Yeah, with some ideas, with some of the, the fermented breadfruit ideas that some of the Micronesians had there. And I thought, well, I like fermenting. We've got fermented vegetables. We've got sourdough starters. And I thought, well, let's ferment this, right? Checked online. I broke it down. First, first thing I did was I did it actual Micronesian style. So I went down and I got some seawater because they part of the process is brining but they use seawater and it's called pit fermentation I didn't actually dig a pit but I used uh, buckets and stuff and, but we've refined it it ferments wonderfully and and just surprisingly it, it's about a four-day process and at the end of the four days once you make it smooth in the in the bowl chopper and put it into a bucket into its anaerobic storage state 
if you don't get it into the refrigerator soon, the bucket just starts, it just, the top comes off. It's it just, explodes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had our ferment tested in, at labs, at a lab in California, and it had twice the uh, probiotic lactobacillus um, bacteria that yogurt has. So it was just beautiful stuff. I'm not sure how I got the cheese from that, but I started looking into recipes and methods of making a cheese substitute. We've got a mozzarella cheese substitute made from breadfruit that is solid at 40 degrees. You can shred it on a cheese shredder, sprinkle it on the pizza. It's the right color. It's, it's a white, creamy white color. It, it melts. It's the, you're gonna have to draw the line and it doesn't stretch. It's not okay. like not mozzarella, quite mozzarella, but close enough. But it's much more palatable than than these other brands. So from there I went to a cream cheese, a spread, uh, an ulu cheese spread, and then an, a neat little butter idea. Those both those, since they're not cooked, they're live foods. So so we serve the uh, cream cheese, the ulu style cream cheese, uh, on our bagels. And so you're actually getting a little bit, it's like eating yogurt. So your customers, are they a lot of tourists or do you have people that just kind of grew up on breadfruit and are willing to try something different? We, we, we get both. The, we have to make many more ulu bagels in the morning uh, to satisfy their needs. And moving from the kitchen, we sat down at a table outdoors and Tom Pickett brought out samples for an ulu feast. Okay, so tell us what you brought out here. Well, we brought out a pizza with tomatoes and artichokes and olives. The different part about the pizza is that the crust is made with, uh, with ulu, with breadfruit, and so is the cheese. So those are two of our formulas. Over here is a breadfruit bagel. I spread it with our cream cheese look-alike, made from ulu, and hummus. So um, it makes great hummus. There are some recipes out there, uh, but just take any garbanzo hummus and substitute breadfruit the way I described uh, steaming and chopping. Right. Which I did, I also described that on our webpage too. And then our loaf of bread. So I can cut the bread here. This is, this is the tough part. Radio, you can't see it. You can't see it. Yeah. You can see that it's got a crumb, it's got holes in it, it's tender. So give that a squeeze. It reports back, you squeeze it, it springs back, it just makes great bread. And that, like I say, there's no, uh, the only other, the, the only dry flour in it is a little bit of brown rice flour. Ulu with a little help from brown rice. That was Chef Tom Pickett of Kilauea Bakery and Pauhana Pizza, located at the historic Kong Lung Market on the road to the Kilauea Lighthouse. He was sharing his creations of Ulu cream cheese, Ulu bagels, and Ulu pizza. He also has an Ulu noodle and an Ulu cake on the menu. Hats off to his ingenuity with Ulu. And since we last spoke last September, Tom reports that tourists flocking to Kauai has been very good for business. Happy, hungry customers have finished off his breadfruit supply, so for the time being, he's sourcing another local product to substitute for ulu, green bananas, allowing him to continue cooking his gluten-free recipes. But it's only for a short time until ripe breadfruit can once again be picked off the tree. Ulu season kicks off in July. Baker Tom Pickett discovered what's possible for a fruit that just keeps giving. Next up, the person who many consider the mother of the breadfruit movement, 
For Diane Ragoni, her passion for ulu started with a college research paper. She divides her time between Kauai and Maui, where she works as director of the Breadfruit Institute at the National Tropical Botanical Garden, where numerous varieties of ulu are grown. I became involved in breadfruit knowing nothing about it. I moved to Hawaii in 1979, and then I sampled it once, and then I was a graduate student at the University of Hawaii in the horticulture department, interested in tropical fruits, and I decided to write a paper for a class on breadfruit in, in Tahiti, where it's an important center, and it was from that term paper, that paper I wrote, where I went to the UH Library, which has this incredible collection, the Pacific Collection, and found all this wonderful, interesting information about breadfruit, its uses, the cultural, the historical aspect. And from that, I decided that is what I wanted to do for my PhD. I wanted to study breadfruit varieties in the Pacific Islands. So what is it about the history, I think, that you've, you've just found, I guess, the, the most interesting? The history I found so interesting was just how widely grown breadfruit was throughout the Pacific Islands and how important it was culturally and as a staple food for so many Pacific Islanders for centuries. And the thing that interested me at that time, because it was so new to me, was I was interested in plant introductions. And so the thing about breadfruit was there was interest right after, in the 1920s and then again right after World War II from botanists and, and scientists recognizing that traditional crops and cultivation practices in the Pacific Islands were at risk and that varieties of breadfruit and other crops were in danger of disappearing. And so I approached it from that perspective, this need to collect and conserve and document breadfruit diversity. Did they have much uh, at Bishop Museum that uh, you know you could you know, use in, in your research? Bishop Museum has, has had excellent resources as well, but mostly with the University of Hawaii, the, the library collections there, because they have a lot of agriculture-related materials that the Bishop Museum would not have. And Hawaii has one variety of breadfruit traditionally, so it's fascinating for me to learn that there were places in the Pacific that had documented 50, 60, even 100 varieties of breadfruit. And then you, you, you've tasted them all, and uh, you have favorites. <laughs> so my work was not just to collect the varieties and document them, but to collect propagating material, because it was a conservation effort to conserve these traditional varieties. So I planted the trees at the National Tropical Botanical Garden, Kahanu Garden, Maui, and over the years as the trees grew and started fruiting, we were able to you know, document and do research on the collection, but yes, I harvested and sampled the different, uh, different varieties to see what they were like. Uh, so every time I would go to Hana, I live on Kauai, I would harvest three, four, five different varieties and just steam them and cook them and eat them and see how they tasted. So, And your favorites? Oh, uh, my favorites. Is it like picking which child's your favorite? Um, I have three to three to five favorites. So there are um, a couple of them are Samoan varieties. One is called Puo, and it's a variety that's been in Hawaii for at least 100 years. There's another Samoan variety called Ma'afala, and that's a variety I like very much. They're both very flavorful. They are very, both very nutritious. There's a very unusual variety that I w was able to rescue from an abandoned breadfruit conservation collection in Samoa. It's from Rotuma, and its name is Ulufiti, which means from Fiji. And then there are a couple of the Micronesian varieties that are, um, Lame, you're from Guam, Lamay? Uh, Lamay. Lamay. Um, the Micronesian varieties from um, mainly Ponape and Chuk. In 2011, with the Hawaii Homegrown Food Network, the Breadfruit Institute launched a program called Ha'ulu Ka'ulu to revitalize breadfruit in Hawaii. So we did festivals on, five festivals on two islands, many workshops, cooking demonstrations, and so a way to encourage and make people more aware of breadfruit and, and also making trees available so, 
you know, and getting the nurseries to propagate trees. So that was an important part of it too. You have to have the trees available. So tens of thousands of trees have been planted in Hawaii in the past decade through these efforts. And now all these people now have access to fruit they didn't before. And so the farmers need entrepreneurs, they need businesses to develop products. So that's what we're seeing now through these cook-offs and these other activities, entrepreneurs like Tom and other people throughout Hawaii are starting, and chefs, can't forget the chefs, are using breadfruit and putting it on their menus. People are making products. So we're seeing new novel food products and seeing breadfruit used in restaurants and more in homes. And the thing that's most dear to my heart is, is this economic development is so important. We need to diversify agriculture in Hawaii, and this is an important cultural crop that could do so. But local family and community food security and self-sufficiency and having more breadfruit trees planted in more yards and more communities like the Haula community, where then a family can harvest and eat fruit and excess fruit they can give to their friends or their families, sell it, so there, that there is that local abundance, not just a commercial opportunity. Now, I grew up eating breadfruit with coconut milk, just baked, and uh, that's that, I think, and maybe chips is really the only way I've had it, but to have the bread today, the bagels, the pizza, I mean, it just takes it to a whole nother level, you know, the hummus, uh, you know, all these wonderful you know, the spreads. It, it really is, it's amazing what you can do with it. It is, it's such a versatile crop because I can't think of anything like it. If you think about it, it's a potato on a tree when it's at starchy, mature stage. And you can do so much with it. You, a pa and the pastries and the breads, as well as the starch and the pasta substitute. But when it's small and immature, it's a completely different food. And that's when you can marinate it and make pickles out of it. But then it is a fruit, so it turns soft and sweet and ripe and creamy. And at that stage, you can do completely different things with it. So it's usable at every stage of development. And all it takes is kind of playing around with it and creativity to make things out of it. Gosh, where would you like to see this go? I mean, you've got folks on different islands that are experimenting with it. I think you had mentioned in one of the breadfruit summits, they talked about skincare products. Well, we're at, the, I think, at the beginning of really looking at breadfruit as, as more than just a backyard crop. But I think it's very important that it also remain and that it be a backyard crop. But for economic development, commercialization, yes, you do need more people growing it. Is flour a feasible thing to do with it with the cost of production and the labor involved in making flour? Is it a feasible product to make in Hawaii? A lot of people are interested in breadfruit flour because it is gluten-free, but breadfruit is gluten-free. So you don't have to turn it into flour to get the gluten-free benefits. So you'll see from what Tom is doing here at the bakery, he's not using flour. He's not taking it to the step of making flour. He's processing the mature starchy fruit and using it as his, his dough base. There's another business owner, I guess, down the way from here that I hear is making vodka. Yes, there's someone making vodka. So with every crop and as you're using it, there will be you know, challenges of the supply chain and supply and demand. So the Hawaii Ulu Cooperative on the Big Island, and they're growing and they're, explore, they're exploring all, what, what does it take you know, to, to get that supply chain. So there are things for Hawaii that will be appropriate and feasible and scalable island by island, and then for the Pacific, it is you know conserving these traditional varieties and replanting and growing breadfruit in these traditional systems and farming more breadfruit. And then in other parts of the world, there's a lot of interest in breadfruit. And so I would like to see hundreds of thousands of breadfruit trees planted around the world and people using and growing more breadfruit. I guess the big question that I always get just from uh, friends or neighbors, you know, they see this in the market or someone gives it to them and they're like, what do I do with this thing? Well, that is, there's that fear factor. And I, I frequently give uh, our workshops and uh, the festivals and other events presentations on, on breadfruit. How do you, how do you handle it? And so it's, it's that educational component of what we did through the Ha'ulu Ka'ulu project and the Hawaii Homegrown Food Network is what kind of informational resource materials to make available. You know, we did a breadfruit cookbook. We did a breadfruit production guide. 
fact sheets and informational resources like that. So it's that educational piece about what to do with it. And I think the most important thing is to pick the fruit, harvest the fruit at the right stage of development and handle it that way. And right, so right now I have three breadfruit that were picked about three days ago and I wasn't ready to cook them. So sometimes if I have room in my refrigerator, I will put a breadfruit in the, in the fridge. And I had one in there, the Ulufiti, for more than a week. And when I pulled it out, the skin was all brown, but it was fine. It was still firm and starchy. So that's one way to slow down the, it getting soft. And also there wasn't the sticky sap that can be on a fruit. But this week I have three fruit that I'm not ready to cook until this weekend. So when I brought them home, I just put them in a plastic bag in a small trash can. I filled that trash can with water and had a nice blue ice pack. So I put that in there to cool it a little bit and then covered it up. And those fruits, as long as there's no air in there, as long as you can put a weight on them so they are covered, they'll last three, four days in water. And that a traditional way you'll see that in the Pacific Islands people will store put breadfruit in water for a day or two to three so when I pull those out there'll be no sticky sap or latex on them and I'll just you know steam them up and do something with them it is an amazing fruit though it really is so what's next for you a book what's next for me is yes I uh, is really like to start focusing a lot more on writing and writing a couple of scientific papers that are kind of a culmination of a lot of the research I've been doing for almost a decade with a collaborator. But then books, I'd really like to write. I was going to write one book, but then I decided, well, yeah, I actually have three books, so I just need to start with that first one. And then helping continue on with this you know, breadfruit movement that's happened in Hawaii and around the world. Okay, well, we'll look forward to your books. Haha, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That was a conversation we had with who many regard as the mother of the breadfruit movement, Diane Rigoni. There are many people in Hawaii who want to put ulu on the map, creating ulu festivals and more. Some are working toward an international stage with the World Expo in Dubai. The power of ulu would fit into the theme of connecting minds in creating our future. Because of COVID-19, the United Arab Emirates has pushed the World Expo to later this year, starting on October 1st and running through March 31st, 2022. Support for HPR comes from Keiki Cow Cow, offering children's products that reflect the mixed plate culture of the islands. The Keiki Cow Cow Wooden Play Food Set features shave ice, locomoco, and musubi. Online at keikikowcow.com. Join HPR Saturday, June 19th, when the lush sounds of Intoxica return to the Atherton studio. It's a live stream performance of the Exotica Trio, bringing you the sweet, atmospheric sounds of 1950s Oahu. Make a batch of Mai Tais and enjoy the magic of the Atherton studio in your living room. Reserve your spot at hprtickets.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from ProService Hawaii, offering advice to employers on managing business challenges due to the coronavirus. More at proservice.com slash COVID help or by calling 808-207-7634. conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. If you're just joining the program, it's a Hanaho rebroadcast and we're looking at all things Ulu. There is a cooperative on the Big Island which has hooied up to marshal the power of Ulu. Here's what you might hear as workers chop up the fruit to freeze for market or to make Ulu flour.
the sounds of Ulu. We talked to the cooperative's Dana Shapiro about the efforts over the last several years to put Ulu front and center. The co-op was founded in summer of 2016, so we are just about exactly four years old. And we came together originally as nine farms from all over the Big Island. We were all growing ulu. Some of us had mature trees and others had just planted trees, but we came together around a common love for ulu and belief that ulu has a really important role to play in Hawaii's food system. And we recognized that we could do a lot more to help build the industry by working together than we'd ever be able to accomplish individually. And that was really the basis for forming the co-op. So you have frozen breadfruit. You also have Mm -hmm. ulu flour. We do. We are just starting to scale our ulu flour production. We've been making it for a couple of years. A few of our co-op members were actually making ulu flour on their own before they joined the co-op. And one of them gave us her mill and showed us how she made it. And we kind of took over production for her, but on a very small scale. And last summer, we received an Atherton Foundation grant in partnership with Voyaging Foods and the Hawaii Farmers Union Foundation. And that enabled us to buy a larger dehydrator and mill. So this season, we're planning to commit about 15% of our overall volumes toward flour, which is a lot more than we've ever done in the past. So how much flour does that produce? We're estimating about 3,500 pounds, which is from about 18,000 pounds of fresh fruit. And so where can our listeners purchase this flour or frozen ulu? The frozen ulu is pretty widely available now. It's at about 25 different store locations all around the state and on every island. You can find it on Oahu at all the down-to-earth locations, at Kokua Market, through Farmlink Hawaii, and through a number of the community food distribution programs that are happening, Aloha Harvest, Chef Hui, Kupu, they have all brought the frozen ulu in for their constituents, their customers. The flour is not yet widely available. Ulu season is just starting. For us, it typically begins in July. So until we get more fruit in, it's not going to be that widely available. But we actually do have an ulu flour survey that's a Google form And it's available through our social media and also on Voyaging Foods website. And if you're interested, fill out the survey and make sure you include your email address and you'll receive updates about the ulu flower when it becomes available. I'm just intrigued that you've been able to network with, you know, the breadfruit farmers. I think that there's a lot of farmers that are really passionate about ulu. And they recognize that the co-op provides very valuable services that enable them to focus on farming and help them to maintain their farms and become more profitable. And so I think it just makes sense. We have a couple members on Maui that hui up and ship fruit to us. We have brought fruit over from Oahu as well. So it is possible for other islands to join the co-op. It doesn't really make sense to ship fruit until you can fill up a pallet, which is about a 1,000 pounds. So again, if there are smaller or backyard farmers with excess fruit, they could potentially hui up to meet those volumes. But on Oahu in particular, there's much, much more of a market for fresh ulu than there is on the Big Island. There's a number of processors on Oahu that do buy fruit. Ulu Mana is one. High Five Ulu is another. And so if there are growers with fruit on Oahu... They, I think, have a much larger market on their island that they could potentially tap than some of our outer island farmers do. So share with our listeners, like, what a typical day would be for you, you know, on your ulu farm. For those of us working in the co-op, we are not on the farm that much on a day-to-day basis because we're handling aggregation, processing, storage, distribution, and marketing. For our ulu growers, they are pretty much all highly diversified. So outside of ulu season, when they're harvesting, they're probably not 100% focused on their ulu trees. They're managing very diversified farm operations, which gives them more even production throughout the year and higher net revenues per acreage that they have to work with. And so that's great, and we highly support diversification. For us in the co-op, we have also diversified our operations because ulu is a seasonal crop. So We actually handle sweet potato, kalo, 
kabocha squash, banana papaya. This summer, we're diversifying a lot more into more tropical summer fruits. But we receive fruit most days of the week, and we start our production process pretty early in the morning. You know, that usually involves washing the fruit, cutting it, steaming it and freezing it and packaging it. And so that's a pretty much full-time job right there. Now, there are a number of varieties of ulu. Is there one that maybe makes better flour, or do you mix them all up? How does that work? We're really still learning the, the flour process, so we don't have an answer to that yet. We're doing experimentation and taking good records so that we can learn that information. On the steamed and frozen side, the different varieties have pretty different sort of culinary properties in terms of their texture, their size for sure, their taste a little bit. So we do a sort of a sorting process in-house before we process, and that will determine what product gets made out of which fruit. So we accept all varieties. I don't really like to say we have a strong preference because they're all great for different applications. We do prefer the larger, firmer, seedless varieties simply because yield is higher, but we will buy anything. We'll buy any variety of ulu. Our focus really is Hawaii. You know, Hawaii imports virtually 100% of its staple foods. So in other food groups like fruits, vegetables, even proteins, we have moved the needle in terms of increasing local production. But in the staple food category, which is, you know, grains and starches, we have not moved the needle. We produce less than 1% of our own staples. And those are the carbohydrates that make up about 50% of the calories we need to survive. So we're in a very precarious situation, and Ulu has tremendous potential to help make Hawaii more food secure and self-sufficient. So our focus really is on Hawaii. We work really hard to promote the crop, you know, do educational marketing to all consumer groups, especially youth. That's been a really big focus of ours in partnership with the Department of Education and the Hawaii Farm to School Hui. So until we really have to go out of state and export, meaning if demand here does not grow as fast as our supply, until that happens, we're actually not really looking at markets out of state. If you've got more people planting ulu in their yards because they know it's a crop they can count on if the ship doesn't come in, you know, during these COVID times, everybody's talking about we need to diversify, we need to support local ag. We see our role as complementing that. So if everyone has an ulu tree and is getting their fresh ulu in season, that's fantastic. And we can be the source out of season or for further value-added ulu products. Oh, yeah. Talk about the products because, I mean, I've seen all kinds of really cool things uh, at the grocery store, you know, the dips, all kinds of things out there. People are getting really creative. Yeah. I mean, ulu is so versatile. It's truly one of the most versatile crops that I know of. Here locally, we have a number of ulu hummus products from different manufacturers, as well as ulu chips, which of course go together very well. And then out of the ripe fruit, there's ulu desserts. We make an ulu chocolate mousse that's sold frozen. And John Cadman of Maui Breadfruit Company makes pono pies, which are delicious. And he has lots of different flavors. In Kanyohe, there's an amazing ulu noodle restaurant, um, Adela's Country Eatery, and they use our frozen product to make their noodles. The list really goes on and on, not to mention all of the chefs who are making amazing ulu products. And the chef Hui recently partnered with us on an ulu ambassador program. So we have about a dozen ulu ambassador chefs that are really working to spotlight innovative and traditional uses of ulu in the kitchen. That was Dana Shapiro, one of the many Ulu ambassadors out to spread the word about Ulu power. It's a promising crop as we look to diversify the economy and support our local farmers. The Ulu Cooperative, along with the Hawaii Farmers Union Foundation and Voyaging Foods, has launched an initiative to promote replacing 30% of flour used with local starches by 2030. And you can now find their local Ulu flour in stores and in bulk at their website. To find out more, visit eatbreadfruit.com.
We've been showcasing the possibilities of breadfruit on today's Hanaho rebroadcast of people who eat, drink, and live by breadfruit. We're winding down to our pauhana with a look at ulu spirits. In particular, we spotlight ulu kila, a breadfruit liquor that won gold in a 2020 competition. Master distiller Karel Khan's cultural roots are actually from the Czech Republic, and you can find him at the Royal Hawaii Distillery located off Dillingham Boulevard here on Oahu. For the past five years, he's been experimenting with a variety of alcoholic beverages that include some of your favorite island fruit. The company has also won silver for a pineapple liquor. He shares his love for spirits in what he hopes will become the tequila of the Pacific. Yes, we're trying to make this tequila of Pacific, but it's much better, better on flavor, either on age or age. If it's age of brandy, it has better quality than age tequila, let's say uh, rum or whiskey together. You will have to try it. And then it's also different if you use the fresh ulu, if you use also, let's say, harvested uh, steam and frozen ulu, or if you use, uh, you know, ulu flour. So again, that will make three different uh, profiles as well, and you will have uh, get asked to taste anything from lemon to guava, you know, and stuff, and anything between. So again, very sophisticated profile from the ulu. Doesn't matter, you know, how you prepare the ulu. We'll talk about this gold medal that you won. Is that made with fresh ulu? Well, this one is actually made from a flower made in Samoa. I got FDA permission to import it from Samoa. So I still have about 1,000 pounds of the flower. It's the best flower ever. You can also use it as the best hurricane preparedness food because if it's dry, it will last 10, 15 years in your dry cabinet. And when it's emergency, you just mix it with water and you will eat it like uh, ulupoi, you know, so you can eat it and you get all the vitamins and amino acid and fiber and stuff like that. So it's uh, almost like space astronaut food. <laughs> and then if you have any leftover and if it's hot and, and it gets fermented, it's even better because the fermentation will produce alcohol, what will make the disinfection of the ulu in next day or next 30 days. So you can eat the poi like with little beer inside. So again, the best hurricane or any emergency food you can carry in, in your household. And it makes the best ulu vodka. Uh, you know, vodka is uh, a little, I don't know, overrated because vodka you can make from ulu you can make it from whiskey from potato sweet potato from the sugar cane and it's just ethyl alcohol what it's distilled uh, over 190 proof and then diluted in 40 percent the difference is only with different companies they will put little seasoning there including citric acid and sugar so it stays a little different or for smoothness it's extra distillation or extra uh, filtration. So if you are at home and you buy the cheapest $6 vodka and put it over charcoal, you will get $30 vodka. If I get same $6 vodka with one redistillation, it will taste like $200 Grey Goose vodka. So again, vodka can be from anything because it's stripped from all the flavors and aroma. Our breadfruit is spirit. And spirit means it still have the essence of the body of the original ingredient. So if you have the ulu, it still ha have the flavors and aroma from the ulu. In vodka, everything is stripped out. So again, we can make the vodka for people. But again, if I make grain vodka, good one, and ulu vodka, there is no difference. But if I make a good spirit or liquor from ulu, or mix it with whiskey or with rum, or make it as brandy. That's when you get the, all the flavors, aroma, all the sophistication, all the smoothness, all the uh, quality for good cocktails and stuff like that. So again, vodka, it's not so good. Nothing against people who like vodka. It's just pure ethyl alcohol. Your operation there, at the start of COVID, you stepped up and began making a hand sanitizer, right? Yes, we, we have to because, again, there was a lot of people and essential workers and they don't have sanitizer, so we cannibalize our good alcohol. 
in order to make the sanitizer. Sanitizer has to be at least 60% of alcohol. That's the CDC sanitizer. The WHO sanitizer approved has to have at least 80%. So, for example, you need two bottles of cheap 80 proof or 40% vodka to get one bottle of 80% sanitizer. So you need redistribute the stuff at least 80% or most likely at 95, then dilute it to 80, and then when you add the glycerol and the hydrogen peroxide, you can get the WHO-approved sanitizer, and that's what the essential workers needed at the start of the COVID because they didn't have time right. to go to the line to Walmart or Costco yes. and just take chance if they have sanitizer because they work shift or double shift, and they have no time for that. Right. So so you stepped up and really uh, filled a need for the community early on when there was a demand no, for not this. Only, not only us, we are just tiny distillery, but we help all our neighborhoods. They are another bigger distillery who step more, and they try help as much, even more than us. But we yes, feel the needs around us to all, let's say, the policemen in our neighborhood and, uh, you know, post offices and, let's say, Army National Guard and Department of Health and, again, all the essential workers, plus the public, who, whoever needs that at the time, at least we have that at the time where, again, nobody else has them. Right. Well, thank you for, for doing that for the community. Now, you're products though you can customize spirits for special occasions right for weddings anniversaries that kind of thing yes for birthday baby wow you can you can get it also for your bar restaurant club and in other business you can get a personal a personalized label you can get the recipe so if you like uh, chilled stuff we put uh, uh, more alcohol, less sugar, stuff like that. If you want to put it into cocktail, we put more sugar, for example, if this is for cocktail making. We can put the flavor. So, for example, our uh, famous Ahi Tuna Fish Vodka, maybe not smell the best, but it's very smooth. You will don't get bad bread when you, <laughs> when you swallow, but you can make the best Bloody Mary ever with that. Wow. If you don't like the Ahi Tuna, you can also use our bacon vodka with uh, nori seaweed vodka. It will make same effect the best Bloody Mary ever you 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 had in your life. Well, I, but again, I, I'll take you your can, word for you it. You can also like ginger, and you can get ginger spirit into your Moscow mule. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I uh, commend you for your creativity. Hopefully, you're on your way to making Ulu the tequila of the Pacific. We, we're trying. It will help also the farmers or anybody who, who wants to get extra income. It will also help the community, you know, because if people, uh, you know, grow more Ulu, it's again, it, it's really rich on starch. You have more starch than corn and rice and potato together. So again, it's good food, and again, the leftover can be distilled for the spirit and vodka and brandy. And again, it might help this local economy, and maybe it can be exported. It could be served in Waikiki hotels as a local specialty, because again, the visitors usually come, they're looking for, for locally made alcohol, and the bar and restaurant still serving only all mail and stuff. You know, not caring about anybody else. So again, that will be the distinguished service what they can do to help local economy. That was Master Distiller Karel Khan talking about his local distillery that produces the breadfruit spirit Ulukila. The Royal Hawaiian Distillery is still open for spirit tastings, but best to call first and make a reservation. COVID has limited staff to just Khan and his wife. And presently, Ulukila is sold out. But Khan says he is in the process of fermenting and bottling a new batch. As we wrap up this deep dive on Ulu, here are some comments that came into the station after we aired our Ulu stories last fall. Hi, this is Mike McCoy calling from Kona. I enjoyed listening to the show today about Ulu. We have several Ulu trees at our place in Kona and have planted uh, several of the Mahafala Samoan varieties that Diane Raboni mentioned. I wanted to also mention there are ways other than refrigeration to preserve breadfruit. My wife, who is from Sadawal Island in Yap and Malpiaduk's niece, 
taught the members of Nakalaiwa on the Big Island how to preserve breadfruit for their voyage of the canoe Makali'i to Mokumanamana last year. In many Pacific Islands, breadfruit that is abundant can be harvested during the season and stored in large pits where it ferments. Then we prepare it later for consumption. The clean fermented ulu can have the consistency of mashed potatoes and can be cooked in numerous ways after cleaning. Here in Hawaii, we use food-grade plastic buckets rather than pits in the ground, but uh, the end result is the same. It's really great. Aloha. David wrote in after we first broadcast our segment with Dana Shapiro of the Breadfruit Collective. After listening to your show, I want to plant one in my yard, but don't have access to a starter tree. I was interested in knowing if there are any resources for ulu plants. Well, David, the National Tropical Botanical Gardens Breadfruit Institute would be a good place to start. The number is 808-332-7324, and that's extension 221. We'll also list the website on our page after the show. That's it for today. Up tomorrow, well, it's King Kamehameha Day, a state holiday. Give us some feedback. Got questions about anything you may have heard on our air? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.